It is a wonderful privilege to open up God's Word with you, so please find Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles. Romans chapter 6, that's what we'll be today. In fact, we're only going to look at the last half of that verse in 6.23, Romans 6.23. Eternal life in Christ is our topic for today. How God gives eternal life to believers in Christ so that they would reflect His glory both now and forever. And so if you're able, I want you to stand with me in honor of God and His Word. I'm going to read, we'll give us a little bit of context here, I'll read Romans 6, 20 to 23. Just remind you that God's Word is perfect, and it will change you, and it is totally true. So Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to your word, that you would edify and encourage your people today, that you would grow us, that you would give us breakthrough in our understanding of your ways, that you would grant us new appreciation for and daily life application of eternal life. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're talking about eternal life today, and I, I know I'm the kind of preacher that wants to keep motoring through books in the Bible, and I, you probably are saying, didn't you promise us we'd be in chapter 7 the next time we met? And probably um, we were looking here, I, I really felt the need to pause. I think sometimes it's easy to keep going through a book in the Bible and not enjoy the view. I want to enjoy the view of eternal life today with you, uh, so we're really going to look at that last phrase of verse 23 and it's all about eternal life and it's all about eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord but there are a lot of people who would say that you can work your way to heaven right people would say that they would say no uh, you know I know the Bible says that that eternal life is only in Christ but really you can if you worked really really hard and you did a lot of really good things that, you know, God's going to give you a pass. Dennis Prager said it this way, There is only one solution to the world's problems, he says, only one prescription for producing a near heaven on earth. And he says it's the Ten Commandments. He says, properly understood and applied, they are really all humanity needs to make a beautiful world. If people in countries lived by the Ten Commandments, he said, all the great moral problems would disappear. So he misses the entire point of the gospel, misses Jesus completely. We cannot work our way to God. Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Eternal life is found in no one else but Jesus Christ, who himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So we have Jesus' word on it, that he is the only way to be saved. 
This is why Titus 3.5 tells us that it is not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy that God saves us. There is no other way to be saved. That is why the main point today is this. God gives believers eternal life in him so that they reflect his glory now and forever. God gives believers eternal life in Christ so that they reflect his glory now and forever. And we're claiming to know something, aren't we? We're claiming to know something based on what the word says. Well, let's just say we claim to know something about something we've never seen or experienced. It would be kind of wacky. It seems maybe disingenuous, maybe hard to believe. Let's just say I was always saying what a great city Downey is or what a great state Tennessee is, but I've never been to either place. You'd be like, you know, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Well, let's say I'm always telling you how great garlic is or olive oil and you find out that I have never eaten those things. Actually, I had garlic this morning, so there. So there, okay? That's another story. I'll tell you all about it another time. But what about things like heaven? What about things like heaven that the Bible describes and we haven't been there yet? There are people that will tell you they have been. They're highly suspect. But we have to take God's word on it. We have to take God's word on things like heaven and even the full experience of eternal life. And the only authoritative place to land, the only place to go is the word of God. But still, we wonder because we haven't seen it yet. So we go by faith, not by sight. Now let's say you have experienced something and you're like, you know, I've been there or I've done that or I've tasted that. But even when we have experienced something, it doesn't mean we know everything there is to know about it. Of course not. Twice I've been to New Guinea. I've been to missions trips to Irian Jaya, Indonesia twice. But I only went to certain parts. You could never, couldn't call me an expert in that place. I can't say I know everything there is to know about it. I only know in part. That's the way it is with eternal life. We may be very familiar with it, by the way. We say it a lot. In fact, um, in first hour, there are some kids that come and take notes. And someone came up to me after first hour, after the sermon, and said, Pastor Mike, you said the word. This is that same person that counts. I love it. They said, you said the word life 95 times. I'm like, my goal is 100. I want 100. So if you're keeping count, please let me know. Just raise your hand when I get to 100, all right? Life, 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 life. I want to talk about life. (laughs) So we may be very familiar with eternal life. It is bedrock truth that God wants you to know. But we need to know its significance. Like, why is it so crucial? Why is it so important? Why is it so essential? And so what I want to do is give you seven observations about eternal life. Seven truths about eternal life that will help us. And they come from this last phrase in Romans 6.23. So the first one is this. The first observation about eternal life. Eternal life is a gift of grace. Is a gift of grace. In fact, where it says that the free gift, the free gift, that's a, the Greek word for, for grace, and it literally means a grace gift. So eternal life is a gift of grace. It is unearned. It is not wages. Remember what the first part of the verse says, for the wages of sin is death. Your paycheck for your sin is going to be eternal death. But the free gift, the grace gift is Now, this is for the undeserving, right? Because everyone deserves those wages. But this is not wages. This is a gift for the undeserving, which generates huge amounts of humility in those who believe. 
But doesn't Romans 6.23 startle us? It startles us with contrasts. It kind of knocks us upside the head with a jolt. It's like, the wages of sin is death. And we're like, yeah, I don't don't want that. (laughs) Oh, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, yeah, I really want that. Eternal life is a free gift to those united with Christ by grace through faith. And it requires God to act on your behalf. In fact, John 5, 21 says, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. John chapter 17, verse 2, here's God the Son, Jesus, praying to God the Father, and he says, you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. I remember when I was young, I would go with my dad some Saturdays when we didn't have a sporting event. We always had sporting events, but there were those off days that we didn't. And so sometimes I would go with my dad uh, to work at these rentals that my parents owned in Cudahy. And we would, I would help with the plumbing or with painting or with yard work. And we'd work hard, you know, half a day or maybe even a full day. And the thing I would look forward to the most is that hopefully my dad would say around lunchtime, do you want to go to McDonald's? Okay, now I was a kid who didn't grow up going to McDonald's all the time, and I was always looking forward to, if my dad and I were together on one of these days, he'd be like, let's go to McDonald's, and here's what would happen. I would get to go to McDonald's and literally get anything I wanted. Now, that's not how my family worked, usually, okay? It's like you get a hamburger and we have sodas at home kind of thing, okay? And so what I would get is a Big Mac, a filet of fish I was like a 10-year-old going, I get the filet of fish. Yes, and not only that, but the Big Mac too. And a chocolate shake and fries. Okay? And it was a beautiful reward for the work I had done. It was a beautiful reward. But eternal life is not a beautiful reward for work that you have done. Eternal life, you know, is not a, a retire retirement benefit plan or something that God gives you because of how good you have been. Or how faithful you have been even. No, because if so, if this was a a retirement benefit plan that we earned for our works on earth, we would be getting eternal death. Eternal death for our sins. But eternal life is a beautiful reward won by the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he did at the cross. That's what eternal life is. It is a gift of grace. Second observation, not only a gift of grace, but it is from God. You notice it says the free gift of God. It's from God. God grants it. God gives it. Eternal life. It's about knowing God. It's through Jesus Christ. It's it's about being kept through this life because of God's faithfulness. It's about this sure hope of heaven dwelling in the presence of God forever because God granted you the life. In John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, in, in him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that, that God the Father is to be blessed, because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is something that God has done, and he, and he causes us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. So there's an inheritance. 
And it says here that the inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So it's not going anywhere. It's not getting lost. It's not getting squandered. It's not going anywhere. But it says here in verse 4 of 1 Peter 1 that it is kept in heaven for you. So the inheritance that is given by God is being reserved. It's like you have a reserved spot. It's, It's kept for you. And it says in verse 5, who by God's power, so the believers who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So God doesn't just give you the gift and then say, well, you're on your own until you get to heaven. I hope you make it, okay? No, God says, I'm giving you the gift and I've caused you to be born again and you have now an inheritance that is literally reserved for you in heaven and you are being guarded by my power for this salvation that will be fully revealed in the last time. That's a great gift, isn't it? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul is talking about himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Interesting, he says life here. This is a cool thing. If you go through the New Testament and you say, I want to see every time it talks about eternal life, you'll find 40-some references to eternal life. But you go with the word life, and there's a lot. And here's the cool thing. When you see the, the word life in the New Testament in relation to Jesus, in context to what Jesus has done, it's talking about eternal life. So there might be only 40 references in the New Testament or so to eternal life, but there are many, many more, and, and even other words are used. But life, when you see it in the New Testament, that equals eternal life when it's in context with Jesus. One writer back in 1677, his name was Henry Skugel, called it this. He said, eternal life is, and I like this, we're going to kind of go with this phrase here, the life of God in the soul of man. The life of God in the soul of man. I think that's a, a good description of eternal life. How does one get this life? Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You need to hear the gospel. So, eternal life is a gift of grace. It is from God. And number three, it is exclusive. It is exclusive. It is not for everyone. In fact, what tells us that in verse 23 is the word but. See, it starts this way. For the wages of sin is death. That's what everyone deserves as the paycheck for their sin. But, so now there's a difference, okay? It means not everyone gets this. But the The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone doesn't get eternal life, but everyone will have an eternal existence. You can't walk around saying, everyone's going to have eternal life. Oh no, you'd be a universalist if that was the case. What you say is, everyone has an eternal existence. Okay, They will have an eternal existence. Some are going to have death. Now in verse 23, death equals eternal death. Okay, And then eternal life here, is the other option. So you're either going to have an eternal existence of eternal life or eternal death. In fact, that eternal death is very clear in the Bible that the fire never goes out and there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and all of that, and it doesn't end. There's no end to it. 
In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And the idea is if, you're the, if the trajectory of your life is all about that, you don't have eternal life. Now, 1 John was written to believers. You go into 1 John 5, verse 11, and it says this is the testimony. Here's the proof that God has given us eternal life. Okay, it's a gift, and this life is in his Son, and then he says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So God wants you to know that you have this exclusive gift of grace. He wants you to know it. He doesn't want you to just walk around going, you know, I don't know if I have eternal life. He wants you to know. And what we find is that God decides who gets life. Right before first hour, we were praying with the worship team, and one of the worship team members prayed, and he said, God, you can make dead bones live. And, and it was like, hey, you're talking about Ezekiel 37. In fact, go there with me, if you, if you will. In your Bibles, it's like a half an inch to the left. <laughs> Ezekiel 37. So you get this vision, literally, of this big valley full of skeletons, okay? We're talking like dry bones in the whole valley. Uh, people had died and the skeletons were left, okay? And it says here that the Spirit of the Lord says, Son of man, can these bones live? And the answer, oh Lord, you know. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm in, the, I'm in a valley with a bunch of skeletons and you're asking me, can they live? And I'm gonna tell you, you know, God, you know if you can make these bones live. And then what happens, verse 4, prophesy over the bones and say to them, O dry bones, yes, you're talking to skeletons, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. Would you like to have seen that process? And then says this, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And it just gives the point, the picture, that God, God ordains when things are going to live. Okay? God ordains when you're going to live, and if you're going to live. It's been decreed. In fact, the Bible tells us it was decreed before the foundation of the world. First, I mean, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians says that that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and he's talking to believers. Now, in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you see a picture of how it happens in a human heart. Now, the rundown that Bunyan gave of just this story of, of a person coming to faith in, in Christ and getting to the end of their life. Now, the hero of Pilgrim's Progress is Christian, and uh, the, you know this is not like some, like, thinly veiled allegory. This is like, wham, you know, Bible verses left and right, okay? But his name is Christian, and he discovers that his great need was to avoid dying in his sins. And he was told, you need to fly from the wrath to come. And so Christian become, begins running, and he's crying out, life, life, eternal life. And people think he's a lunatic, just like people think of you if you're a believer. And his friends try to stop him, and they remind him of all the things he's going to leave behind and all the things you know, he's going to miss out on. And, 
And Christian invites them to join him. In fact, he says this, all which you shall forsake is not worthy to be compared with a little of that that I am seeking to enjoy. I seek an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, and it is laid up in heaven and safe there. And his friends refuse. They go back. They go back home. And Christian presses on. And he flees from destruction to, towards the uh, eternal life. He, he, he runs to a narrow gate. If you know the story, you know what comes next. He sees a narrow gate, and beyond that, he comes to a cross. And he looks at the cross, and his burden, the weight of his sins, comes sliding off and falls away forever. And he's given the right to enter into the celestial city, uh, heaven. So at the end of his journey, he draws near to the city, and the angels tell him, you are now going to the paradise of God, wherein you shall see the tree of life and eat of the never-fading fruits thereof. You shall have white robes given you, and your walk and talk shall be every day with the king, even all the days of eternity. And Christian and his companion, hopeful, go through the gates. As they enter the gates, they are transfigured, and it was said to them, enter into the joy of the Lord. In this picture, the story is, here's Christian journeying to the cross and from there to the celestial city. And it happens because someone named Evangelist, there's no, no secrets here in, in Pilgrim's Progress, someone named Evangelist tells him what to do. Early on, Evangelist had seen Christian standing with tears in his eyes because he, he knew he needed salvation. He was weeping over the judgment on his soul. And Evangelist asks, why are you standing still? And Christian says, because I do not know where to go. So Evangelist knew what to tell him. Do you know what to tell people? To point them to Christ and his cross and true saving faith? So that all who believe will not perish but have eternal life? John chapter 1 verse 12 says, To everyone who receives Christ, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God decides who gets life. 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul says, He received mercy. He received mercy because in him as the foremost sinner... Jesus would display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Those who were to believe in him for eternal life. This is exclusive. Eternal life is a gift of God's grace. And it's exclusive. And a fourth observation here. This should be no surprise to you. It is forever. It is never ending. It is eternal. It's called eternal life. Right? So eternal life. Eternal. It's immovable. It's our soul's anchor. So instead of perishing, you know, the John 3.16, you shall not perish but have eternal life. Here, so instead of perishing, you get the opposite of what you were due, of what you deserve. This is cool. Eternal life, forever with God. This blessedness with God. And, and what do you do? You go, well, you know, fair is hell. Fair is hell, but I get eternal life? Wow. I'm going to plead only for mercy. 
It's a statement of fact. John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus is speaking of himself in context of being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he says this in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What kind of life does he give them? Eternal life, never-ending life. So, eternal life is a gift of grace. It's from God, it's exclusive, and it is forever, it is never-ending. And a fifth observation here, it has already begun. It has already begun. Life is going on right now for every believer. So you get a, a taste of eternal life now. It's already begun. It began at regeneration. It began at conversion. It began when you came to faith in Christ. And you now have eternal life and now you are moving towards heaven. So it's going on right now for every believer. That's the nature of eternal life. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's forever. But it also starts at the moment of conversion for you. So we're always thinking of it kind of this way, aren't we? Like eternal life, and you kind of take a continuum of time, and you're like from here to all the way through eternity. Like it never ends, right? That line never ends. And you're like, well, I'm going to get to heaven and play a harp or something, right? And it's like, I don't know about that. I don't think so, okay? First of all, harps are fine. I'd rather play like the piano or something. I used to play the guitar a little bit, but... That's, that's just weird, isn't it, to think about that? But we think eternal life, and we go just forever and ever and ever. What am I going to do all day long? But here's the thing you need to, to grasp. Eternal life is not just quantity of time. Even though it lasts through eternity, it is quantity of time. For example, the unsaved will have an eternal this existence, everlasting death and punishment. Believers will have an eternal existence, of everlasting blessedness in the presence of God. But it's not just quantity, it's also quality of life. The quality of life. Life to the full in Christ. Life more abundantly. So eternal life is a quality of life, and, and go back to that, that phrase. Uh, the life of God in the soul of man. You've got the life of God in you. Jesus says, I am with you always. You've got God dwelling in you. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So this is pretty amazing stuff, and it isn't just for, for then, in eternity, but it is for now, for believers. The life of God in the soul of man now. Because you're simultaneously living in the realm of time and the timeless. Time and eternity, time and the timeless. First Peter 1, going back to that, verse 8 says, you have not seen him yet, you haven't seen Jesus yet, but you love him. So you love him right now. You haven't seen Jesus, but you love him right now because you have eternal life with him. And it says that though, though you do not see him, you believe in him, and then it says, and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. You're doing that right now. And no matter how tough or how bad life gets, you can still rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory because you believe in him, because you love him. And it says here that you obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The final, final salvation of your souls where you will fully know. Hebrews 11 says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
This is not wishful thinking. This is like, this is the way it's going to be. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's already happened. It's already started. Okay, the party's already started. It isn't just going to be someday. It's a gift of God's grace. Eternal life is a gift of God's grace to believers. It's from God. It's exclusive. Not everyone gets it. And it is forever. It's never ending. It's eternal. And it has also already begun that you can enjoy life in Christ today, now. Life doesn't have to be drudgery. It doesn't have to be like sour-faced. It can be actually joyful. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. Let's look at the sixth observation. The sixth observation is that it is union with Christ. We've been talking about that kind of a lot recently, but it's, a, it's union with Christ. When you see the term in Christ in the Bible, it, it means you're in union with him. Okay? You're in union with him. In Christ Jesus our Lord. It means you know him. You know him personally. You know him as your savior. You know him as your Lord. There's this daily moment by moment following that you're doing, this discipleship. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life. Now at that point, you're like, Jesus is about to define eternal life. I want to listen to this. I want to hear this one. What is Jesus going to say about eternal life? This is eternal life. So what he's going to say next? This is what eternal life is. What is it? It says that they may know you, the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So it's knowledge, but it's not a head knowledge. This is a heart knowledge. This is you knowing God. This is you fellowshipping with Jesus. This is the life of God in your soul. Thomas R. Kelly put it this way. He said it's a new and absolute orientation in God. Inward fellowship with God. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you're experiencing this in your life. If you're a professing believer, if you're saying, I believe in Jesus, I I follow Jesus, I hope you know then that you have union with Christ and you have fellowship with Christ and it's God's life in your soul which gives you this ability to, to rejoice Again, even in the midst of the hardest things. First John chapter 1, verse 2 says the life was manifest, literally made manifest so it can be seen, and it says that we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Well, the writer of this was an eyewitness of Jesus. He'd seen Jesus. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Who is that? What is that? That's Jesus, the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. He's saying, we saw Jesus. He's talking about the eternality of Christ in his pre-incarnate glory. You move on in 1 John all the way to chapter 5, verse 12, it says, he who has the Son has the life. You know Jesus, you have eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. If you don't know Christ, you have eternal death. And then I want you to go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 with me. Just go over there real quick. I want you to see this. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this. We have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's like social connectivity in the body of Christ. No, it's not what it's talking about. That you may have fellowship with us 
And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this is not social connectedness that's being talked about here. This is talking about being partners in possessing eternal life. This fellowship, it's partnership, it's possession. This is why in Philippians 1.5, it says, for your, I, I'm thanked, thankful to God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Your partner's with us in the gospel. You believe the gospel. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter 5.1 that he is a partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. This is like 2 Peter 1.4 says, God gave us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the idea is fellowship with and in Christ. Partakers of the life of God in our souls. Uh, experiencing that reality as we are simultaneously living in the realm of, the, of time and the timeless. See, if you're a believer, when you were saved, when, when God caused you to be born again, surely by his grace, he started you in on the process of discipleship, making you fully human. You're like, I thought I already was. No. Uh, by the way, Michael Wilkins defined discipleship this way. Here's how, he, here's how he defines it. It means living a fully human life in this world in union with Jesus Christ and his people, growing in conformity to his image and helping others to know and become like Jesus, to live a fully human life. Now, some, some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute. Do we really want to live more humanly? Don't we want to live more spiritually? That's because we misunderstand our humanness. Irenaeus in the second century said this, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. We are only fully alive when we are in Christ, when we know we have been chosen and regenerated and justified and are being sanctified and are being glorified. That we exist to reflect the glory of God in this world. That we exist for God's praise and honor and to live in relationship to God with the life of God in our soul. And so what happens is, and we're going to see this more in chapter 7, we often consider our humanness inherently sinful. And we, we, we have a sin nature as a result of the fall. But Adam and Eve, man and woman, as created in the image of God, did not have sin as part of their nature. Do you remember in Genesis 1.31 where it says the creation was, God declared it very good? And there's no false dichotomy between being human and being a Christian. It's not like you, know, you become a believer and you're like, I'm not human anymore. That's weird. It's not that, and by the way, it's not that, that weird saying, like, oh, he got so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. That's rubbish talk, I'm telling you what. It's not that we would become so heavenly minded that we, would, that we would be no earthly good. Here's what biblical discipleship is. Being made more heaven minded so that you can do more earthly good. That's biblical. We're to reflect God's glory in this world. We're connected to Christ and we're more fully alive. And the more fully alive we are, the more others will see God's glory in us. So eternal life is a gift of God's grace. It's exclusive, it's forever, it's never-ending, it's eternal. It has already begun. It's union with Christ. And one more, one more. Number seven, seventh observation about eternal life. It's guaranteed. It's 
promised. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay? It, it does exist, and it's personal, actually. It's, it's, he's our Lord. 1 John 2.25 says, This is the promise he made to us, eternal life. You don't get much clearer than that. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus is talking to his friends and his friend Lazarus had died and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked the question, do you believe this? Because it takes faith to believe that once you're done with your earthly life and you physically die that if you're a believer you will keep going on living for eternity with God that you won't have eternal death but you'll have eternal life we are promised as believers life with God forever begins at the moment you come to faith in Christ and by the way Titus 1 2 says this he says we live in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began God promised it. You can bank on it. We are strangers and exiles in this world. We know this. You look in Hebrews 11 and you see all these people that were believing in the coming Messiah before the Messiah came. You think about Abraham in in Hebrews 11.10. Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So the architect of heaven is God. And he's looking forward to that. Because he's believing in the Messiah to come. And you look at Hebrews eleven sixteen. All the people who died in faith, it says they desired a better country, a heavenly one. And God is not ashamed to call, be called their God because he's prepared for them a city. We're going to see them in heaven. If you focus on the city of God, the city of man is not going to drag you down. In Philippians 3, 20, it says that our citizenship is in heaven. And then it says this, from it, from heaven, we await a savior. So spiritually speaking, you're sitting here. You're real. You're, you're right here. But, but if you're a believer, the Bible says you're seated with Christ in the heavenly, spiritually speaking. You're a citizen of heaven, and from heaven you await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, there's your promise, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Is guaranteed. A gift of grace from God, exclusive, forever, never ending, but already begun, in union with Christ, and fully guaranteed and promised. That, that, my friends, generates humility in the heart of a believer. That generates uh, thankfulness and fosters dependence on God and gives us hope and assurance. I think that. Probably what we need most today is is to know, okay, so how can a heavenly perspective change the way I live? You know, I'm going somewhere after this. I'm making choices. I'm going to have conversations. How can a heavenly perspective change the way you live? How can it change your family life and your work life and your church life and your neighboring and your friending and all that? perspective here right so so here we are walking in the shadow lands in this time seeing through a glass dimly 
But knowing, okay, knowing as believers, knowing, and, and, and in Hebrews 12, it talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. So we, 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 we think about that. And what happens is it gets our perspective you know, off of our ego, off of what we look like, off of what someone did to us, off of our, you know, first world problems or what have you. And you realize as, you, as you're walking through the shadowlands here with a, a perspective that it's, it's not just what you see here, but you go, there's something greater further out and present now. And what happens is, we all, we all get our feathers ruffled, don't we? we? We get injured in the scrum and we feel hurt. And, and guess what? Feelings of hurt are, are a function of earthboundedness, okay? Gravity and all that. Well, what happens when life is really good? What do you say? Well, this is, this is like heaven. I went to this great vacation. It was, it was heavenly. Or I had this great meal. It was heaven. But when it's bad, we're like, I'm living on hell on earth, people. And, and, and I'm yearning for heaven. So here's what you need to do. You need to remember, if you're a believer, you need to remember you have eternal life. It's going to change your perspective on life. It's gonna give you new eyes to see. It's gonna bring your hurt and your hardship into perspective, into the proper place, and personal injury and problems pale in comparison of a big God. So we get so wrapped up in life under the sun with our problems and we're searching for solutions and we're, we're struggling with all sorts of things and we're bearing burdens and, and we're forgetting about our future hope. Deal with things. But if you're dealing with things in such a way that it, it makes you forget about your future hope, you're not dealing with them biblically and with an eternal perspective. See, for believers, it's let the promise of eternal life keep you on point. And keep you with that perspective so you're not getting microscoped on things here. You think about the, the first Christians and you think about what happened to them in, as recorded in the book of Acts and you see them being mistreated for their faith. Acts 5.30 says this because they had an eternal perspective. They rejoiced that they were considered worthy to be counted, uh, be, they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ person of Jesus they had big thoughts of God don't ever tell don't let anyone tell you that big thoughts of God have no place on on this earth big thoughts of God drives an eternal perspective on life we have blessed assurance and fellowship with God now so what happens is when people hate you and revile you and spurn your name as evil and exclude you all because of your faith in Christ, you can say, wow, I can actually rejoice and leap for joy, as Luke 6 tells me, because I have Jesus in my life. I have Jesus. He's going to wipe away every tear. Revelation 7, 17, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And Jesus is with you now. That's why you can apply 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. So you get a horizon view of life. You say, you know what? Heaven's better than anything I can go through on this life. It puts everything in perspective. You know how James talks about life being a vapor, right? Steam up, just gone. Um, you gotta make every day count, and here's how you do it. Without downplaying any good gift that God gives, 
okay? Any good gift. Let's say you just got married. Let's say you just got a promotion. Let's say you're just having the best time of your life. Without downplaying any good gift of God, you always need to think, eternity is better than this. Heaven is better than this. If you think you're going through hell right now, you just think heaven is far better. If you think you're experiencing heaven on earth right now, think heaven is far better. Your haven of rest cannot be rooted in something earthbound that is not rooted in Christ and Scripture. You want to fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12? Take hold of eternal life. That's what it says. Grab on to eternal life to which you were called. Serve the Lord with gladness. Trust Jesus with everything. There will come a day when Jesus is going to say to those who refused him, depart from me, I never knew you. But to others, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You're like, what do I do until then? Well, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That is our hope. And Lord, thank you that you save believers, you chose us before the foundation of the world. You called us by the gospel being preached. You gave us new life. You, you led us to yourself. You drew us to yourself and you made us right with you and you adopted us into your family. And you are making us more like Christ even now, and giving us strength to stay on course and ultimately be glorified. And so we thank you, Lord. We praise you that you give believers eternal life in Christ, and we want to reflect your glory now and forever. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.